You're listening to Inside the Hive, Vanity Fair's podcast, and I am your host, Nick Bilton. So every once in a while, I get to sit down with someone who leaves my head spinning afterwards because the conversation has been so fascinating. And the interview you are about to listen to today is exactly one of those. My guest is Kevin Kelly, who is one of the greatest thinkers of our time when it comes to the role that technology plays on society, the future, our culture, humanity, you name it. He has a resume that goes back pre-me, and I'm not really sure which parts to highlight, but I will give it a shot. Kevin is the founding executive editor of Wired Magazine. He's a philosopher of life, technology, aliens, yes, aliens, God, artificial intelligence, why we're here on this pale blue dot spinning around in the universe, and where he really, really excels is with his unbelievable knowledge of how technology has played a role in the human pursuit and why it is that we build all the things that we build. He's written half a dozen books, including Out of Control, The New Biology of Machines, What Technology Wants, and his latest book, which is called The Inevitable, forecasts the 12 technological forces that will shape the next 30 years on this planet. And believe me, a lot is going to happen in the next 30 years. So Kevin does a lot of public speaking, a lot of podcasts and Q&As and so on and so forth. And before we sat down and I hit the little red record button, he said that he hoped I asked him some questions that he had never heard before, some good questions. So here goes. All right, Kevin Kelly sitting across from me. Uh, What's more terrifying, Donald Trump or artificial intelligence? (laughs) Donald Trump. Donald Trump, okay. Uh, so I, I saw you last night at a, at a dinner with a lot of uh, very smart uh, and uh, clever people, and um, and the conversation, uh, we were all sitting at different tables, and the conversation at every table ended up on the same thing, artificial intelligence and the end of humanity. So my show always ends up at this dark, gloomy place, so I figure we'll start at the dark, gloomy place, and we'll try to end on something good. So can you tell us where we are, kind of what's going on? with AI and, and and why everyone is so terrified? Let's start with why everyone's so terrified. Um, it's because of uh, basically Hollywood, um, which has become really, really good at telling stories. And if you're going to tell a story about the future, um, it has to be a dystopia because it makes a better story. So every single vision that we have of the future is a dystopia. And in those visions, the AI is always a bad thing. And there's not a single one that I know about, a single movie, a single even science fiction story, where there is a future that you and I want to live in. We say, oh, I want to live there. And so um, we get the image of what robots are going to be primarily from the pictures of you know, Terminator. And it doesn't help that some of the brightest, smartest uh, people on the planet, like Elon Musk, Stephen Hawking, also are worried about this. And so that combination um, tells ordinary people that, hmm, maybe I should be worried about this. And so they have a question, which is, should I be worried about this? But but are are Elon Musk and uh, Hawking and Dyson and all these folks, are they worried about it because... Uh, of what they've seen on, in Hollywood, or are they worried about it because they understand what could happen? I think it's in part because none of us have been able to create a plausible, 
friendly future of AI. In other words, it's very, very difficult to think about a world in which there's pervasive AI, ubiquitous VR, constant monitoring. It's like, let's make up a world where that is a world we want to live in, and it's very, very difficult to do that. I, but I think it's not impossible, and, and that's what I'm trying to do. So how are you trying to do that? So you go to China a lot. You talk about AI. What, what, how are you trying to make it so that it's so we don't end up killing ourselves? Well, I, I, I think I think we have a very mis lots of misconceptions about AI and about how fast it's, it's happening. Um, the, 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 a lot of the kind of um, angst about AI comes from our, our idea that it's going to be human-like and that it's going to replace us, where most of the AI is not human-like. It's the, the best way to think of AI is plural. They're AIs. There are many types. There are many varieties. And they're all alien. They're, we're going to basically make artificial aliens. And so these are going to be, they'll be creative. They'll be smart. They'll be uh, insightful, clever. But they're going to have a They'll have a sense of humor, but it won't be a human sense of humor. It'll, it'll be, they'll work with us because they think differently. And one of the things that's most difficult now, today, is thinking differently um, when we're all connected. So, so, so um, if you have 7 billion people connected together all the time, day and night, it becomes really hard to think differently. And AIs think differently, and that's their benefit, not a bug. But, okay, so... We are going to create these aliens. Yes. Um, <clears throat> and these aliens are going to be representative of the people that create them, right? In the same way that if I, you know, uh, if I'm a dog owner and I go and get a little poodle and I teach it to do little tricks like spin around versus going to get a pit bull and teach it to, to, to kill other animals, um, isn't that kind of something that to worry about? If, if, if Vladimir Putin's building a mm -hmm. pit bull-like alien, uh, and we're building a poodle like alien. How do we how do we reconcile those two things? So I, I think there are plenty of things to worry about AI, but they're all very close. They're not this faraway thing of them taking over and killing us all. So 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 it's like um, should we be worried about the things that Elon Musk says we should be worried about? And yes, there's some people should be worried about it. But you know, like if a meteor hit. The Earth today, it would be devastating. It would be terrible. End, end of civilization, whatever. It's existential. Um, and, but can you say, will, will a meteor hit next year? And the answer is probably no. You know, it's greater than zero, but it's very, very, very unlikely. And so there should be some people. We should have some people on the planet who are worried about that. And in fact, there is. There's a group. You know, B B16 that's trying to actually divert an asteroid if one should come, and how would we do it? So there is a small set of people, but you don't need to have your company um, strategy, your national policy set around the fact that a meteor might come. That's simply not something you have to really worry about on a day-to-day -day basis in any way. And I would say the same thing about you know robots taking over. There's a chance greater than zero that it could happen, and therefore we should have some people thinking about that. But it's not something, it's so unlikely that we don't really need to have, uh, you know, have po national policy or even corporate policy or even research policy based on that now. There should be a small set of people who are thinking about that. That's good. It's something you should want to be worried about, like a meteor impact. But it shouldn't really set the agenda for the development of the technology. But isn't the, aren't we in a global climate now where everyone is competing to, to build this next kind of technology, you know, from Putin to... 
to, to China. To China, yeah. um, isn't that what they're all doing? They are, and so and so going back to to, to to now, what we should be aware about. Yes, there's plenty of things more closer, like the, the issue you raised about biases in AI. That, that whoever makes AIs will have a bias that's brought about by the people who make it. AIs will be biased. Okay, and so those are the kinds of things that we that we do have concerns about and should be concerned about now because they will have an impact and they're they're real, and so those kinds of things I think we absolutely want to pay attention to because we will build in the biases. Um, but the reason why I'm not worried about this and the reason why I think that's an overcomable, tractable problem is because um, uh, those uh, because because we have the competition because. It's not just the U.S. making it. So if in a situation where, let's just say that, you know, uh, that not even Putin, but but just some random 14-year-old in their bedroom builds the equivalent of like a, an atomic mm-hmm. bomb-like AI, wh- what is the scenario of how, how, how that would play out and how it would stop? Like let's just say that this person says they want to build an AI that, 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 that turns off the power in America, um, which of course would set right, us right, back. Right. Um, do, would would we find ourselves where we have humans trying to stop the AI, or would they be building? You know, in America, would would, would we build AI to stop that AI? Yeah, yeah, or yeah. What, what? So, so so let's just take the the Hollywood premise of turning off the internet. Yeah. This is an extremely extremely difficult thing to do, and I think that even if you gave this an agenda to the best U.S. scientists in the world, they would still have difficulty doing it. Okay. Okay. So it's the same. It's the same uh, scenario of, of a teenager in her backyard, um, you know, restoring smallpox and infecting the world. This is actually very, very difficult to do. So I think there is. Um, what happens is you have to have a lot of people involved, and the more people you have involved, the more social constraints there are, and something strange happens. So I think this idea of a lone wolf is another Hollywood trope. <laughs> this idea of this person. <clears throat> all by themselves, and they've got all this new technology that's never been used before, and it works, and, 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 and they're diabolical, and they're going to take over. I think it's a okay, 100% so, uh, Hollywood trope. Okay, so let's, let's get rid of the Hollywood trope of the – but let's, let's take the real, the real villain. Let's just take a, a, a Putin and, yeah. and, uh, um, and, uh, and uh, his cronies that, that – Sure. And, and let's say they do it. Right. What so, happens? Right. So, so, so let me go back to this again, this, this misconceptions we have about AIs because they're plural. So first of all, one of the most common uh, mistakes is this idea that we, humans, have a general purpose intelligence. We don't have a general purpose intelligence. What do you mean by that? Well, this, that's the question. What does we mean by general purpose? Well, what that meant was that this is kind of like we have like the universal intelligence and that... Um, we will make AIs that also have universal intelligence. And universal intelligence is like it's this general purpose that can solve any problem. But we, don't, we ourselves, humans, don't have general purpose intelligence. We have a very, very specific kind of intelligence that was evolved over millions of years to survive on this planet. If you take all the possible intelligences in the universe, we're way off in the corner. So what we're doing with AIs is we're inventing as many possible intelligences there are, let's say there's a thousand different varieties, a thousand different species of intelligence, okay, all different kinds. All over the planet? I mean, all, all over, over the, the galaxy, all, the galaxy. All, all over in the possibility space. 
And so we have a few examples of intelligences on this planet, but they're over in the corner. And so what we're doing with AI is we're, we're basically discovering, inventing all the possible ways of thinking of which we operate. And, and our own minds have multiple types of cognition in them. And we vary. It's kind of like a suite. They're not, IQ is a completely misconception. There's not like a single dimension of intelligence. Right, that just kind of like you know goes through a, a mouse, a rat, a chimpanzee, like amplitude of sound getting louder. That is completely false. We have multiple types of cognition in our brain, and so far with AI, we've only been able to manage synthesize one variety of cognition of all the say dozens that we have in our own brain, and that one type is pattern recognition. Neural nets do only pattern recognition. But we, don't, we haven't been able to synthesize deductive reasoning, inductive reasoning, logic, symbolic reasoning, long-term memory. I mean, there's so many other things that we don't even know how to do yet. That's why it's still very, very limited. Hmm. Okay? And so we, we're going to make AIs, plural, different types of thinking. And we're going to invent new types of thinking that don't even exist on this planet. Just like when we made um, artificial flying, at first we tried to imitate the flapping wings of birds and bats, because that's how they flew biologically. We devised a type of flying that doesn't exist on this planet, which is a fixed wing with a propeller. So we're also going to devise other types of thinking that don't even exist biologically, but we're going to increasingly populate the possibility space of all the possible ways of thinking. And so most of those, almost all of them, are not going to be human-like. They're going to be different than the way we think. That's the, that's the reason why we want them to <coughs> drive our cars. So because what, they are driving like us. So what do you? What are some examples of um, of how you think? You know, I mean, timeline wise, and I know predict predicting yeah, sure. the, the time of things is just is. A, mm -hmm. is yeah, a but I, I'll, I'll term, give but, it a go. But what are some examples of what you see uh, in in my lifetime, my kids' lifetime, yeah. uh, of, ha of of whether it's good or bad or whatever with with AI and uh, the AIs that we're going to build? Yeah. So, so I, I think in the next i would say you know 10 years we'll we'll, we'll start to have uh, self-driving trucks that will drive on certain lanes and, and my image right now is that these trucks will probably have people in them but they won't be driving they'll be doing another job remotely they'll be in the cab working on something else and then at a certain point they'll need to drive through the city or something like that so we'll see these transitions of certain lanes certain kind of cars certain levels of um, self-driving over in the next 10 years. And, uh, and then I think we'll, 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 we will have conversational bots that we can talk to. And I think within the lifetime of your children, you will definitely have one that will begin to have more and more of those modules of um, understanding that um, we would want with with a conversation so they'd be able to sustain and have a conversation you'd be able to talk to them asking questions and stuff like that um whether they would ever get to the point of being self-conscious within the lifetime of your children i don't know but even if they do in other words they would might be aware of their own existence and be reflective they will do it in a different manner than we do it you will generally we will be able to detect an AI, if we care to, just like in, you watch a movie today, and there are scenes in the movies that are fictional, and they're, lot, they're, 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 they're invented, and things that are filmed, 
And we can't really tell the difference between what's fake and what's real in a movie because we don't really care. If we cared about it, we could tell. And the same thing would be with AIs. There'll be, there'll be some, you have a conversation with something, maybe there are, you've called up to help. And you're having a conversation with a bot, this is in the lifetime of your kids, and they're helping you and you don't really care whether they're a bot or not. Maybe we'll have truth in labeling and they'll be identified. But if you really cared about it, there will be ways to tell because they're going to approach the problems differently than us. So, so within the lifetime of your kids, there will be conversational things. Uh, the idea of a robot with a body that we have two arms and walking around, that is actually a lot harder and farther off, and not because of the intelligence, but because of the um, supreme um, efficiency of our bodies. I mean... We, we, we're not, uh, batteries, basically, it's the issue of fuel and energy. We don't know how to, you know, we run off of 100 watts. We're a quarter horsepower. I mean, this is like insanely efficient. And so the hardware part of a robot is way down the line. The intelligence part will be there. So we will have AIs that are disembodied or partially bodied in robots that will be nothing, there'll be no confusion about what they're doing. And the uh, intangible part of like having a conversation or having your AI talking to you in the ear um, will be true. We will have that within the lifetime. But for the most part, they're going to approach problems differently than a human would. And I think that is their chief benefit because they will be supplementing, cooperating with us. So when you look at, um, when you look at the the way that technology today has kind of uh, spun kind of out of control a little bit, right? Would you say that or not really? I mean, really. Facebook and Twitter and uh, fake news. Growing, and growing pains. How, how old is social media? How many days <clears throat> Ten old? years. Ten, Ten years. years so that's what? Um, 3,650. 3, it's less, less than 5,000 days old. All right. So, so, so of course we don't know word it's really good for. Of course, we don't know how it works. We, we, it's less than, it's, it's an infant. And so right now, it's the terrible twos. <laughs> but do we really want the terrible twos with, with, with you know, AI? No, we don't, we don't like... want it. And so, so that's why there's an enormous effort right now to, to try and figure out how it really works, how we can tame it, how we can civilize it, how we can domesticate it, how we can teach it. So, so, so you know, you and I, spent uh, four or five years learning how to read and write. It was not something we'd learned just by hanging around books. We actually had to be taught. It had to be, uh, we had, had teachers. We had to practice. So uh, maybe social media is going to require a type of, of literacy, a type of teaching of best practices. But of course, the problem is we don't know. As adults, we don't know what it is because we're just, we're all infants in this. We're all, we're all newbies. And so it's going to maybe take another generation of at least technology for us to understand how we, how, how, you know, how we work with this. So, so I wouldn't say it's out of control. I would just say this is, I would say this is the ordinary phase of technology. Of yeah, of having to learn how to use it. Do you not? Do you? I mean, do you worry about any of this stuff, or you are you kind of just optimistic w- about all of it? Generally, I, I don't worry about. I do worry about a few things. What are they? Um, Cyber war, cyber conflict, and, and, and I worry about it because... Um, can, you, can you explain to the people yes. what... 
it's it's basically it's um it's uh state to state sponsored um conflict uh using digital means all right through web uh you know computers all that kind of stuff and maybe some drones in there too the the the, the problem is is that um uh, there's a lot of this going on right now it's very hard to trace and we have no agreements about what's acceptable. Okay, we have we have no consents about what's good and what's acceptable and what's not. Unlike, say, chemical warfare, nuclear warfare, biological warfare, we have treaties and we have a sense of you can't do that on this planet. We don't have a sense about that. Is it okay to take down a banking system? Is it is it okay to, to try to in, influence an election? Is we don't have a consensus on that or agreement that we're not going to do these things. And so I, my fear is that it's going to take a really bad event before the world, the countries of the world, the nations of the world come together and say, we have to have an uh, understanding about but this. But we didn't, we didn't need a bad event with chemical warfare. Was that because we, we had seen a couple of instances of, of where chemical warfare was? Well, yeah, we had bad events in World War I. Yeah, we had lots of bad events. And so that was, that was the thing that That was that the trigger to... thing, saying, no, this is not, this is unacceptable. You just can't, this is not fair. So, so we, I mean, it's kind of weird that we have uh, laws and rules for war, but the... You know, saying you're permitted to kill in this way, but not that way. But actually, the the, the, the you know, the absence of it is even worse. And so, um, we, we need to have rules that we uh, for this kind of conflict with 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 uh, digital and cyber and, and AI as well. And so, one of the big things going on right now is is the weaponization of AI, and that is something I worry about: is the weaponization of AI. And what are what are examples of that? That's where the AI is designed specifically to do harm. Robo-soldiers. So um, you and I are both friends with John Markoff, and, uh, who's written a lot about robots, and one of the things that I always found fascinating is the robo-soldiers and things like that that he, he, he wrote a lot about. Do you think that, you know, it seems that we are eventually going to get to a point where there will be robo-soldiers fighting robo-soldiers, right? At, at that point, it's not a, well, what's the point? Is it... Does that completely eliminate traditional warfare in the way that we've thought about it before, where it becomes more civilians that are harmed? I think the general pattern of technology is very, very rare when it replaces something entirely. I mean, you look outside here, we have cars and jets, but there's still people riding bicycles and mm. jogging. Um, and so it's not, I don't, so, so I, I a little bit object to the completely replacing. So, so there will be, there will be, uh, robo-soldier wars, and there will be human soldiers. Um, I, I, I think, so you say, what's the point of, you know, robo-soldiers killing robo-soldiers? What's the point of human soldiers killing human yeah. soldiers, right? Yeah, yeah. So, um, so, so I think, in, in fact, but here's the thing, is you can actually make an argument that was better to have robo-soldiers than human soldiers because you, they're never go- uh, robo-soldiers never going to be accused of having um, committed a war crime because they're going to be programmed not to. Okay, and so, uh, in some senses, wouldn't you rather have robo soldiers killing robo soldiers? That would be, in some senses, in some senses, for some people, a better oh, world. Oh, absolutely, it's a better right, world. Right. But I think that isn't the uh, at, at some point the robo soldiers killing robo soldiers is just a bunch of metal killing a bunch of metal, and right. that's not what warfare 
necessarily is, right? So. Okay, so <clears throat> let's switch away from the doom and gloom a little bit. Uh, and we always, I always end up there. Sorry. So uh, now we start. We get it over with, and we can go into the <laughs> happy uh, future. Uh, no, we'll, we'll probably we'll probably end up back there. Um, uh, you mentioned uh, uh, last night that uh, you were talking about YouTube um, mm. and how you think it's one of the most kind of overlooked mm. uh, things going on right now. We, you know, we're constantly talking about Facebook and Twitter and things yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. But, but but can you lay out what your your thoughts are on this? Well, I have to say that they're kind of half baked. But um, there's lots of things going on in YouTube. Um, you know. Uh, and, and, and what I think is is that it serves a subterranean continent that is so vast that none of us really have an idea of what's going on. And the reason why I say it's sort of maybe underappreciated is that at least among my kids who are, you know, in their 20s and their friends, um, it has replaced so many things in their lives. They often don't Google something. They actually go to YouTube look to look for something as a search if they want to find out how to do anything, if they want to find out about things, they, they go to this th- place, um, and it's t- telling them in visual language. Uh, and so its impact on accelerating how fast people learn things, how fast memes move, um, how fast uh, 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 things can become divergent, it's, it's an accelerator in all these dimensions of culture. And yeah, I think we, because it's so vast and we tend not to travel diagonally across it, we don't see it. And, and there are other issues of YouTube in this auto, uh, the autoplay where you kind of um, go deeper and deeper, become more extreme and looking at things as another, as another character of, of the current version of YouTube. But I think there are lots of, of um, structural aspects of YouTube and its role in society that's not really appreciated. I can't think of a single family gathering that we've had in the last three or four years that has not ended with someone opening up their laptop, showing one thing on YouTube, and then then it's endless. And then, then and that's how every one of these gatherings ends. Do you, I mean, it, I, I get the feeling it's kind of at the forefront of culture right now. Yeah. And yet it's and yet it's so vast. I mean, what is it like six billion days of video uploaded yeah. every minute, or I have something I some right, right. insane number. It's so vast that it's almost like there are a billion little subcultures exactly. taking place on it. Right. Are there implications to that, or is it, I mean, what is... Well, the, the, here's one question that I'm asking. I spend a lot of time outside the U.S., a lot of time traveling, a lot of time traveling primarily in Asia, um, but other parts of the world as well. And um, it's, you know, it's long been obvious that there's kind of a, a global convergence of the culture at some levels. You know, you see the same stores around the world, but more importantly... Um, People around the world basically wear the same clothes. Um, they're studying the same subjects in school, except for the, the language part. It's their identical curriculum. They have the same apps on their phone, basically. Same music, in some, types, in some cases the same movies. And so there, there's a huge convergence going on at one level. And then the question to me is like, well, what's diverging? And I think what's diverging is happening in the YouTube part of the culture where there's this divergence, these huge subcultures where, where a thousand people around the world who have the same passion can find each other, and that seems to be some 
minimum number to make something happen. And so I think um, in, in a certain sense, if you know that Maslow's hierarchy, the little pyramid where you have the base um, shelter, food um, requirements that are satisfied, and then you go up the pyramid to the top of self-actualization, I think at the bottom levels, we have global convergence. We have convergence all around the world. What everybody in the world wants is an airtight, concrete box that has running water and Wi-Fi. <laughs> right? That's, and that's, a toilet. That's, that's, that's what they want. Yeah. Okay? <clears throat> and then once they have that, then they want YouTube, and they want the really kind of really weird thing. <laughs> they go to diverge. So we're kind of like convergence on the lower levels and at the higher levels of what it means, what this is for, what our purpose is, there's divergence. Okay, and I think that YouTube is representing, or maybe it's the conduit, or it's the it's it's the vehicle for some of that divergence as the rest of the world converges. Do you um, do you think that there's a there's you know if you think about the number of things that are being uploaded, uh, uh, is there going to be some sort of intelligence that will result from all of this video? This that yeah. that they will get out of it, or right? So so. Um, my little rift is, you know, we've been moving from people of the book to people of the screen, where books and texts were the center of our culture, and we kind of relied on, you know, uh, scriptures and constitutions and laws and authors, and now that became the authority for the governance of our culture. And um, we're now moved almost completely to the people of the screen, and the screen is a very different thing than the fixed black and white precision of text on a book. It's fluid and messy and open-ended and never done and uh, ephemeral. Um, and so truth has to be assembled in a very different way. Um, and so um, part of what we have accumulated over several centuries of working with text is we have all these tools for manipulating text, like uh, page numbers, uh, table of contents, index, footnotes, hypertext, hyperlinks. And we don't have all those right now for this new medium of the moving image. We, we can't really search inside all videos for the appearance of a cowboy hat. But we're going to be able to with AI. AI will, prov will allow us finally to, to do the Gutenberg-like inventions on moving images where we can actually hyperlink into a scene that moves over time. We can actually do a summary, which we can't do now. We can actually browse or, or annotate all the things that we've done with text that made it really very, very robust. We haven't yet done with, with moving images, so we're going to be able to. So AI will allow us to do, to search into, to reach into, to link into, to, to do all the things that we used to do with text. Now we're going to be able to do it with moving images. So, so we don't have those tools yet but we're moving in that direction. You're listening to Inside the Hive with Nick Bilton. Have you ever noticed how when you're really busy, you usually don't eat well? You're in such a rush that you scarf down something really unhealthy? Well, that's actually changed for me since I started using Freshly. So Freshly is the easiest and most convenient way to eat healthy no matter what life throws your way. They have a team of incredible chefs that cook all-natural, gluten-free dinners that are delivered fresh to your door. 
They have some of the most delicious food you could imagine. Uh, just this week, I had a pecan pork with cauliflower stuffing and green beans. I had a bruschetta chicken with roasted potatoes and veggies. And my absolute favorite was a turkey meatballs with butternut noodles. Yes, butternut noodles are unbelievably delicious. So Freshly is incredible because they offer these customized weekly meals that are constantly changing with a different menu all the time that are created by these chefs that are just, I mean, restaurant grade, five star, unbelievable. Every single meal comes with a detailed, easy to read overview. You don't have to chop things and cook things and wait for things to boil and this, that, and the other. The food is just amazing, shows up at your door. No shopping, no cooking, no cleaning, nothing. I am telling you, you have to try this, especially if, like me, you're one of those busy people that just doesn't have the time to sit down and actually make a beautiful meal. So this week, Freshly is offering a really great opportunity for listeners of Inside the Hive. You can get $25 off your first order of six chef-cooked dinners plus free shipping by going to Freshly.com slash Hive. Once again, that's Freshly.com slash Hive. You spell that F-R-E-S-H-L-Y dot com slash H-I-V-E. You'll get $25 off your first order of six chef-cooked dinners. There's so many to choose from. They're all delicious. Give it a shot. You're going to absolutely love it. When you think about the um, <clears throat> the future in the next few years, you've talked a little bit uh, to me about VR and AR, um, and you seem to think that that's going to have the biggest impact, more so than the smartphone or yes. on an equal level? Or No, so... so, so um, <clears throat> Uh, w- w- what VR and AR, virtual reality and augmented reality, sometimes AR, sometimes called mixed reality, what, what that brings you is, is a sense of presence and a sense of immersion um, into. So it's like we go into these worlds that we've made and we are interacting with them with a different part of our brain than we use when we see things on a screen. When we see things on a screen, we're using a much more... Uh, cognitive, um, I would say maybe even intellectual um, apparatus of our, of our eyes where we see and perceive things. When we're in VR, there's a, there's a the technology uh, relies on a trick of tricking us to believe and, th- and feel that things are present. So we have feelings. So it's, it's a much more lower base in some senses, um, part of the apparatus of our brain where we feel as if things are there even when we know that they're not there. And of all the things that you can experience um, on there, and that's what we what happens is experiences become the currency in this. Okay, and so the, it's what you share with another person is an experience. What you purchase and download is an experience because you're feeling these things. But of all the things that you can experience, fantastic worlds, amazing things in front of you that you can disassemble and move with your hands, which is really good for people who who, who learn kinetically. The most compelling. Experiences are other people, mm-hmm. having other people in. Everyone that I've tried is almost, it's like almost Metcalf's Law, where the, the value and the enjoyment increases by the square of the number of people inside. And so you have, you're going to have this internet effect happening inside these worlds where the more people in, and the greater it is. And so what I would say is that VR is going to become the most social of all the social media. So you think Mark Zuckerberg's right? That I do. Really? Yes. And so... But, but here, I'll say one more thing yeah. about the business part of that. 
the thing that most people don't appreciate about VR is the amount of data that has to be collected in order to project your avatar into this world. And, you know, there's um, Google just announced they're, they're, they're into this, you know, volumetric capture, light field capture. It's, it's a huge amount of data. And the way this works is they're backward-facing cameras so that we can recognize your emotions. You know, computers can now do this. They can tell whether you are authentically interested, perplexed, frightened, hesitating. So your micro-expressions are being captured. Your voice and your body language is being captured in order to convey to the avatar. And all those things are being captured in a degree that would be very hard to do in real life, which means that the VR companies are going to become the largest data companies in the world. By the way, the largest data, com largest data companies in the world are the largest companies in the world. So the whole holy grail for VR is the data. Okay, they're going to give away the technology basically in order to get the data at a degree. So, it's, so VR will become a surveillance state that you voluntarily enter into. Does that worry you? Yes, but it also excites you. Yes, and so, <laughs> so, so I'm just saying, as far as Zuckerberg and Facebook is concerned, um, there it. The, I think the end goal in this is not just for, for the business side. The, the business model of this, let me put it this way. The business model of this is the data that they're going to collect from this. Mm -hmm. Okay, and it's not just, so, so it's, and again, um, what they do with it, how they monetize it, is it, is it all about attention? People like Second Life and others believe that there is virtual economies inside of these things. Okay, and so it's it's a, and that's going magic leap in the whole billions they're putting. They're not going to make any money selling the goggles. It's that they want to have this surveilled world that has a whole economy inside. Okay, because I think we there'll be so much data in this to the degree that we don't even that we could never do in real life. That all the issues we have with data are going to be amplified about ten times into these worlds. And what so what kind of data? I mean, we worry now that Facebook, you know, knows which photo we're looking at and uh, the kind of news we like right. and our sexual preferences. I mean, where, where, how much further can they go? All the way. To, to like, our subconscious or? Well, I mean, I, this is another thing. You, uh, um, there's, there's a couple startups right now that are doing skull caps that read thoughts. Okay? They're, they're basically an MRI a thousand times the resolution of MRI that you can wear while you're doing something. Okay, there are little LEDs. So it, tur so it turns out that our flesh and bones, including our skull, is transparent to near-infrared light. Hmm. So you can actually have a skull cap of like a million little tiny pixel-sized diodes shooting infrared light into your brain in three dimensions and have it reflect back out, and they can actually make a map of your thinking and they've already done things where they, they can have a person watching a film and they can reconstruct what they're seeing from extracting out. So, yes, I think it's all the way. And uh, But we're going to do it anyway because that's just what we do, right? We just accept these technologies because they're fun and we type in searches to Google even though they're going to kind of know the, our deepest, darkest secrets. So here, here's my take on the general drift of... What Technology Wants, which was the name of my I, yeah. second to last book. Yeah. Um, here's why we're doing this. 
we're doing this and we'll do it because what we get out of it are more choices, more possibilities. Okay? So, you know, there's a kind of like, there's an analog revival now of people doing vinyl records and um, film, digital, you know, film, film. And um, it's because we want to have those choices. And so the digital's never going to go away. There's analog, which continues. And we're going to make even more choices. And um, we're into a world where, where there are so many choices you can't do everything, and I think not everybody is going to do all of one thing. I think I think 100% participation is going to be something of the past. That we will um, keep making these new things because there's a possibility. So, um, is is it going to replace face to face? In some cases, yes, but face to face will never go away. Never go away. No. Okay. Yeah. Email is never going to go away. <clears throat> there'll be some people, there'll be something doing with email probably in 100 years from now. And, you know, and, and, and letter writing in some capacity will have a little group of people doing it. So, those pot, so, so what we're interested in, the reason why we're going to do this is because that's a possibility that will be useful for some things. And we won't, it's very rare when we undo or let go or kill a previous possibility. So you're you've been thinking about technology for most of your life. Is this has this been most of my adult life? Maybe when did this all begin? It was what forty years ago or so. Yeah, I mean, I, as a kid, uh, I <clears throat> was a science nerd. Took all the science and math that I could, but I also uh, was an artist. I also, you know, did art and I. When I was in high school, I couldn't decide whether to go to art school or MIT. And my solution was to go to neither. I was a dropout. You know, I just basically, I don't need any of this. I was read the whole Worth catalog, said, invent your life. And um, uh, so I, I, at that time, I had technology at, a, at arm's length. I don't own very little, almost nothing at all. But I became interested in, in technology um, when I discovered the first online world. Which was? which was in um, bulletin boards, basically, in the early 80s, okay, BBSs. I basically, I bought a, or I had use of a Apple IIe to do some, um, do a mail order company that I was doing, selling travel guides. And standalone computers didn't really change very much. And they sped up word processing and stuff like that, but it was, there was no really no big impact. Everything changed when we took the computer and married it to the telephone when it became a communications device. And communications is the foundation of culture. And so when I plugged the computer into the phone line and discovered that there was this emerging world on the other side, that world, as I saw it, that then felt to me organic. It felt human scale. It felt almost Amish in its, in its way of connecting people and, and, and producing stuff. And so I felt that there was a different face to technology the more I got into this online thing that was happening. And um, uh, once I began to look at technology that way, I began to re-examine all the other technology that was around me. And I saw that what we were doing with the computer by making organic, by connecting it, that, that if you connected all these other technologies and animated them with electrons, that they 
were closer to life in the organic than they first seemed. So I reevaluated basically all technology and saw that really, really complicated technology is very, very similar <clears throat> to a lot of life systems, that, that the gap between the two in, is not as far as it seems. And that those early kind of technologies that we objected to, the steam rollers, the steam smokestacks, were proto, they were early versions of it, and they were crude, and they were kind of like, you know, um, single cell organisms. They, they had a lot, they were early in the evolution, and that if we make more evolved technology, the more evolved it is, the closer to life it is. Do you, so you have been, you've, You've always been. Have you always been optimistic yes. about technology? Well, no. <clears throat> I think I think I did the hippie. I think I went through the hippie phase. Well, I guess the, the question I'm trying to ask is: um, Has technology ever turned on you? I mean, I, I've had instances where you know, I at first with social media, I thought it was the greatest thing in the world, yeah. and then you know, was attacked by a bunch of trolls for for nonsense and things like that. And or <clears throat> you know, I see. Uh, trying to have conversations with some friends that literally all they do is they're on yeah, their yeah, phones yeah. and and I and there are these benefits there are, <clears throat> excuse me there are an unbelievable number of benefits but there are also you know technology brought us nuclear weapons technology has you know th- brought us guns i mean yeah 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 do you look at the negatives do you th- are there sure, technologies sure. that you wish didn't exist you- karaoke <laughs> I think it's just karaoke. so horrible. <laughs> it's just five steps backwards. <laughs> That's it. Not not AR-15s. Or... <laughs> <Right. clears throat> That's very funny. Um, of course, uh, of course, of course, there's negative. And the way I would say is that every single new technology produces almost as many new problems as solutions. But um, so. The difference, though, is I think that the solutions to the problems that technology creates is more technology, is better technology. So so I think to have technology almost like it was a type of thinking made concrete, okay? So if if I were to sit here and tell you a really stupid idea, your response to me would not be, you need to think less. No, the proper response is you need to have a better idea. And the proper response to the technologies that have harm in them is not that we should have less technology, but we need to have better technology. We need to replace them with better technology. So that's, so that's the difference. And so I think that, um, um, that there is, on average, more good that comes out of, the more harm, even though the harm may be almost 49%. So f- 49% of the world could be crap, harmful, terrible. But if 51% is good, then that 2% delta compounded over time is civilization. So, so there's a, there, there is more good than bad, but not by very much. It's a very tiny amount. And when you look at the world, it's hard to see that 2% difference. If, if 49% of the world is crap... It's hard to see the two percent difference of, of 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 good stuff, and you don't see it in the news. The problem is, is that the news, the best news in the world, hides the real progress that we've seen over time, 
because it's all really only, only visible in retrospect when you look back to say, actually, there is, on average, things are getting better. And so, um, so, I, can look, so, so I can accept 49% of crap and terrible and harm because if we create only 1% more than we destroy every year, we still have civilization. And you think technology does just that? It does that. And why do I think that? Because of history. If we look back, we take away the news, and we look at just at the scientific evidence that there's absolute, undeniable fact that we have had progress in most of the things that we care about. Okay? Absolutely. It's undeniable if you, if you look at the actual data. Could that, you know, going, you know, people say, well, what about, you know, what about going forward? Well, it's, it's possible that that suddenly stops in, in next year. But it's statistically improbable that it will. When you think about the, the, you know, the future, one of the conversations I've had recently with, with folks is um, about living on Mars and intelligent life in the universe and, and so on and so mm. forth. And uh, there was one theory I heard, which I'm sure you, you know better than I do, but um, that, that there, there is probably there is a pretty good mathematical chance that there, there is other life out there in the universe, intelligent life. But that as technology uh, continues to grow, that intelligent life eventually builds technology that destroys itself, mm-hmm. uh, just destroys that life. And that the reason that we have not seen other beings on um, Earth is because that they have probably gone through that same effect and that we will end up doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. Do you think that will happen? So, so this is partly what they call the Fermi paradox, which is if there are billions of suns, even in our own galaxy, not alone the universe, where are the billions of civilizations and ETs that should accompany them? How come we haven't seen any? Well, <laughs> you know, actually, we have seen them. There we are. Have? Oh yes, look at the Donald Trump. No, no. Look at the <laughs> look at the 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 Pentagon program, right? That recently announced that was tracking UFOs. And look at the the evidence that they've collected recently. So you do believe we've seen UFOs? Of course, absolutely. Um, but why haven't they? Why aren't there little green creatures walking around? Because they don't want to be seen. Because that's, I mean, it's obvious that they don't want to be seen. Hmm. So that. So that, they're here. That video that was recently right. The Pentagon video of the weird sure. shaped object that was floating. You're if saying. If you look at it, because it, it matches the exact identity of, of the hundreds of others that we now have evidence for because everybody carries video cameras around. And they used to say these things, and people say, yeah, you just saw something. Now we have video evidence of it. It's, yeah, it's just very, very clear that they're here already. So you do think that they're here? Of course. But why, why is this not like a bigger story? Exactly. <laughs> so you don't think that, uh, that you think that there are other beings that have come to visit Earth but haven't landed? Because, this, because the protocol is that you don't. But, but you can't see something unless you're seen briefly. So they, have these, they, they appear to, to watch and then they disappear because... Um, so why is it that they have appeared just now, right, right at this point? No, moment? they've been appearing all along, but there's never been the evidence for it. They've always been dismissed. So right now we have videos everywhere that record it, and so now we can see the evidence. But the, the, 
the, you know, the, the numbers of appearances haven't really been changing any. It's just that we now have increasing evident, evidence for it. Do you think that we will ever, do you think we'll make it long enough here on this planet that we will? I do. I, 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 I do. I, I think um, uh, I'm heartened by the fact that we react pretty fast to identifying problems in technology. I, I, I see every new technology as kind of like a newborn child that you're trying to match up with the right job. So like, you know, for instance, like uh, DDT, right? It was, it was an insecticide that um, we started to spread and spray on at plantation levels, you know. It was like terrible effects on the wildlife. Um, and, and, and once it was identified, you know, it took some time, but we identified and said, that's really, really bad. But it turns out that DDT is the exact good thing that we want for spraying around households to eliminate malaria, okay? It has very, very little effects on the environment there, and it's incredibly huge effects on human life. So that was a matter of finding the right job for it. And so I see it takes some time to do it. And the thing about technology is there's, there's a, a fallacy called thinkism. And thinkism is often... Um, used by middle-aged guys who believe that they, if they think about things hard enough, they can solve the problem. And this is the, one of the myths about the super AI, is that if you have this huge super intelligence that will solve all the problems on the planet, you know, give us immortality, cure cancer. And, like, if you had a super, one of those super AIs right now, and it read every single paper that we have on the planet about medicine, it's not going to solve cancer. You, you just can't think about things to solve cancer. You actually still have to do experiments, which take time. You have, to, you have to incrementally get there by doing things. So when the AIs come, we want to be able to, we have this idea, well, we'll think about them enough and we'll, so, we'll solve the problem by thinking about it. Um, but no, the only way we're going to so figure out what technologies are good for or bad for is by using them. We have to use things to steer them. We can't we can't steer things by prohibiting them, turning them off, and thinking about them. We can only discover what the right roles is, what the right jobs, what the best practices are, is by using them. So we could have thought about social media forever before it came, but we weren't going to solve the problems of how to use, how it was best to use, how not to use it, until we tried it, until we use it. So this period, so we've been using it and trying it, and everybody's been trying it, and now we say, okay, here are some of the problems. So, so now we have to make some changes, and they will have problems. And then we're going to change again. And it's only through that constant use and engagement that we actually can steer and, and find the best roles for these technologies. So I'm a big promoter in this idea that of, of engaging and using things, and that we have to not just think about them, but actually engage with them in order to find out what they're good for. When you look, um, just last few questions here uh, um, as we wind down. But um, when you look at the uh, at the future, um, what are you most excited about? Mm. Did I get a good question there? Yeah. Oh, um, God. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I, I have to say that I I am most excited 
technologically with, with AI, with, with the promise of AI, the way in which the thing about AI, in addition to the fact that it's going to do all these things, it turns out that it's going to be the microscope into ourselves. Okay, it's, it's going to be the instrument that we are going to use to find out about ourselves because we have no idea how we work. Yeah. And I, you know, there's a famous uh, distinction that C.P. Snow, an uh, intellectual, made between the two cultures, science and humanities. He said they never meet. And uh, I think there's actually a third culture that has emerged recently. And the, 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 the way science kind of probes the universe is that it does experiments, have theories, and does um, testable control experiments to discover the truth. And then the humanists and humanities does introspect and self-expression as a way to probe the universe. But there's a third way this arisen through technology, and it's the nerd way, the nerd way. And the nerd way to investigate the universe is to make things. So the way that you investigate human identity and being is you try to make an artificial being. The way that you, you, way that you, the way that you try and um, investigate what uh, intelligence is is you make an artificial intelligence. The way you make you try to figure out what reality is is you try to make artificial reality. Okay, and so one of the things that we're going to discover with AI is is that we're going to be constantly asking and answering this question: Is what does it mean to be a human? Because we're going to try to make these other things that have a lot of these human characteristics, and again and again we're going to get answers to that. And so. What I'm most excited about is that, and, and in that process, not just that we're going to find out who we are, but we're going to remake ourselves at the same time. Remark ourselves in what way? As humans. I mean, our humanity is something we invented as humans. We invented our humanity. What do you mean by that? So all the things that we identify ourselves as humans are things that we actually created. We weren't bestowed. Right? So we created language. We have um, uh, we created our sense of what, didn't, justice. Wh- how, wh- when you say we created language, didn't, didn't some deep evolutionary thing inside us create language? No, I think that we selected the, as language came up, I think humans actually st- uh, selectively bred with people who had more language. We chose a mate that was more that had more language than someone else, so we we chose we, and that choosing is a type of invention, and that we um, we chose to have more. Uh, we ch- we chose the virtues of having the distinction between right and wrong. Okay, certainly there were animal um, precursors. There were animal stems and foundations but but we as humans was something was a very deliberate process of us selecting and choosing and favoring those things okay and even things like we um uh we invented fire which was a kind of cooking which was an external stomach okay so we 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 could we could use fire to cook to to process food that we couldn't get nutrients ourselves with our own stomach. So we made an external stomach, which was cooking, which increased the nutrition to our brain, which changed our whole makeup. And even our jaws and teeth changed because we had cooking. So we altered our genes. 
when we domesticated uh, herding animals and started to use their milk, we quickly evolved lactose tolerance in adults. So we changed our genes. We had been changing our genes. We were the first animals we domesticated. We were the first animals we domesticated. Right. Okay? So we've been venting humanity all along. And now we're going to accelerate that invention of humanities. So what I'm excited by is that we get to invent what humans are. That's what we're doing this coming century with all the genetic technology, all the AI, is that this is going to help us to see how we are and how we work. And we're going to see ourselves, and then we get this choice of, well, what it is that we want to be. It's not just what humans are good for. It's like what we want humans to be good for. We get to, we get to begin that process of making us more human. So I believe that technology allows us to be more humans. The reason why I'm excited about AI is that I actually really believe that as we do AI, so, well, we thought humans did this, but, oh, we understand the machines can do that too. We must be something else. The AI is helping us to define and actually create who we are, and I think they're going to make us better humans. Better in the respect of more efficient or better in the respect of what we want? Got it. All right. You know, it's like one of the things about like uh, AIs and, and ethics and stuff is that, as you know, they're trying to program ethics and moralities into self-driving cars and stuff. The thing about it is, is we realize is that as humans, we're, we have a very lousy ethics. We're very inconsistent, very shallow. You know, we, we're, we're really terrible at it. As we try to teach it to the AIs, it's like being a parent to a child, we actually are becoming better at it. It's going to come back, and we're going to be better. When AlphaGo, the, the Google AI, beat the world's best Go champion, it immediately changed the entire game. All those Go champions realized that there was the AI was playing the game differently. It was, oh my gosh, there's a whole other way to play this game. They're now much better Go players because they were beaten by the AI. They became, they improved their game. The same thing as we try to teach AI's ethics and morality, it's going to make our ethics and morality more consistent and deeper. We're going to become better humans. That's what technology is doing, because it's helping us to make us better humans. Do you think that we will, and I'm pretty sure I know what the answer is going to be, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Do you think that we will both coincide and live next to technology and that technology will become a part of us, like almost like in a cyborgian way. Right. It, it already is part of us. <clears throat> we, that, that, that we cross that. But it's part of us in a respect of you wear an Apple Watch or you carry a smartphone or, a, or you get in a car, but it's not part of us in the respect of that I have a... Oh, our bodies, you mean. Our bodies, yeah, yeah. Um, one of the central questions about the future, if you want to go really far, not just the next 25 years, but the next couple hundred years, the question is, do we remain one species or many? Yeah. And, and I, I suspect we'll be many. We'll be many different species? Right. And so there are going to be people, and I have friends who are the Amish, who say, never, under no circumstances, will I or my children or grandchildren ever you know, change our genes. We will forever never do that. And there'll be a line of people. And then there's another line of people who say, yeah, tomorrow. I'm going to, yeah, just bring it on. 
And so I think, I think we're going to have diversity um, in that respect over the long term, where there are people who will never change their thing and they will maintain, they'll have a religious aspect to it. And then there's others who are almost a religious aspect that they were going to, you know, become something else as the most human as possible, whatever. So, so I, think, I, I think the answer is yes, some people will and other people will be against it. And there might be cultural friction because of that. And so there'll be certain people that will be almost like Steve Mann-like cyborgs yeah. and uh, wearing right. eyeballs that are technological and right. and have genetic thing mutations where they right. are 10 times stronger than others, and there'll be others that will... Right. But the one thing you can say about that is that's going to happen very, very, very slowly mm. because um, our it's bodies... No, our bodies have you, you have you have like a, a million years of a momentum. Uh, evolution is very very conservative, very very conservative, and you have a million years of of, of momentum, evolution, momentum. That's very hard to sort of change genetically like that, because because everything is so complicated that you it's it's very hard to just alter one thing without affecting a whole bunch of other things. And that's, of course, the, that's the big problem with gene therapy and other stuff is that it's very, very difficult to do. So, so this is not going to change at the digital rate. This is going to change, but at a much slower pace than, than just adding, plugging something into your, your head. I mean, if you want to, to alter any of the kind of invasive thing, is, is this really going to be slow? So I'm talking really long-term, over long-term, but I, I think it's not something that will... I think it's going to be a very, very um, slow process because it's... Our bodies evolved to not be easily derailed, and so that's what we were doing. So two last questions for you, and then we'll let you go. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> the first one is, are you religious? You're not yes. Re- you are. Yeah. Uh, do you believe in... God or yes. what, and so how do you reconcile the evolutionary aspect of this and the the, the things you just talked about and the technology uh, and some sort of higher power? Well, <clears throat> I hope I can believe in the biggest God possible, and the biggest God possible, the way he it would make a world is to let it unfold, to to flow out and um, the greatest gamble for any god would be to allow or give free will to, to let things to be surprised okay so to, to, to insert into the creation some kind of free will and let and, to, and there would be beings that would be resemble the god that would be capable of creating things so the idea of us being created in God, I think there's a, there is a kind of a, a, a second order where we have become gods. We are as gods. We are creating things. We are going to create other beings to have free will. Okay? Just like we create children, we're going to have new kinds of mind children. We're going to create beings that have free will, and we're going to have all the concerns that a God would have, of like, what do we do with these things that have free will, and, and what happens if they do something wrong, and blah, blah, blah. And so, um, uh, so, so this idea of, of creating an open-ended 
cosmos where you have free will involved. Uh, I think that's that's the biggest God, and there's no there's no contradiction in any of this. The, there is this world as we know our universe. There's entropy, which everything is sort of running down in energy, but there's these small areas where it runs up, exotropy, where there's increasing order. And that's, so, so the origins of technology go back to the Big Bang. So there was a Big Bang, and then a small amount of nuclear particles began to assemble into atoms, there was self-organization, and that self-organization turned into stars, the dust and stars, which would self-organize into solar systems and stars. And then some of that self-organization would permit eventually life to arise. And that would self-organize into multiple species. And then mind would self-organize out of that in, in very, very narrow ways. And technology is an extension of that same process. It's just an acceleration of it. It's, it's, it's the same process of life extended and accelerated. And so in the sense that you would say life and all the good things that we have and attribute to our own being, if they are in any way a reflection of the divine, then technology is also a reflection of the same creation and creator. You, um, you have uh, uh, a lot of the folks that I speak to that, that yeah. I know you spend a lot of time with don't believe that there is, right. there is anything to this. Do, do they ever convince you otherwise, or is this just something that you... Well, the, well, if you look at the universe logically, there's kind of only two places you can sort of end up. Either uh, the universe self-created itself or it was created by a god that created itself. Both of those are unsatisfactory, <laughs> yeah. right? There's yeah. no satisfaction in either of those. I actually happen to think that the second one of having a god that self-created itself that then created the universe is more interesting and more logical, but that's an, that's an article of faith. So you have two unsatisfactory, logically unsatisfactory origins. You have to pick one. To me, it's a more interesting story to have God as, as the self-created rather than the universe itself. All right, last question. Um, Give us a so you, one of the things that you do a lot is predict. Um, uh, give us a, a a look at what the world looks like. Uh, let's pick a time frame together. What do you think? Forty years, hundred years, two hundred years? Uh, Forty, because because hundred years. I all right. Let's go with forty cannot, years. Yeah. Okay, forty years. I wake up in the morning, mm. or not me. My kids wake up right, in the morning. Right. <clears throat> what is what does the world look like? Are there flying cars? Are there right, right. So first of all, most of the world looks exactly like it does today. 95% of it will be exactly the same. You'll walk out and the streets will look very similar to what we have right now. That's because all that change we've seen that built right out there is the Industrial Revolution, the rearrangement of atoms, and that has already happened. Most of the changes we're going to see in the future will be in the intangible world, in how, what we understand, what we do, how we spend our time. So I, I think for most part, it will look not too different from what we have today. Now, there will be you know, the 5% difference, whatever it is. Um, yes, there will be, some people will have flying cars. Um, there'll be a lot of auto-driven cars. There will be certain um, amounts of 
uh, help bots, robot things. But in 40 years, you know, they're still going to be um, specialized, let me put it that way. Maybe there's cleaning bots, better cleaning bots. Maybe most of the food is cooked um, with robotic something or others. Um, and I think that the real change will be um, how we spend our time and what we're doing. And so your kids are absolutely going to be doing a job or a career that does not exist today. And if we could know what that was, we would consider completely ridiculous. It would be just utterly, it would make no sense to us. It would be like, that's ridiculous. There's nobody who's going to make their living uh, designing web pages. You know, that's just like, that's impossible. Yoga teacher? No, 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 no. That's not going to happen. So I think um, uh, there'll be screens everywhere. Um, I, I think that we will all will continue to be always on with the uh, with the provision that will we still have devices in our hands? Probably not. <clears throat> what will that be repla- so, so, replaced so, so, with? So, so I think we might go back to this thing where where any any screen, so to speak, will recognize you and become your screen when you command it. So why should I carry around? A device, when the device could be in every room, and I'll just pick up the device and knows who I am. Um, and is that my command and becomes my device at that moment. Uh, and so I think there will be a lot of the kind of making the environment really, really smart. So the idea of the digital nomad who's tracing through the universe not carrying things is because the universe provi- is providing the universe. The environment is providing those things as they need them. And... Um, and, and I think uh, there'll be more of that, but there will certainly be things that individuals will come to have a certain affection for or passion about or expertise about that they will take ownership of and they will carry with them, not because they have to, but because they want to. So I, I suspect that may be a place that we diverge, okay, in the sense that um, maybe someone really cares about clothes and they want handmade clothes bespoke clothes, and they don't want to have any electronics. Okay, that's their thing. Other people, but they may be using the general share economy for everything else, not owning very much. Um, so there's, I, I think the moment when we have everybody has the same thing and owns the same thing is gone behind us. I think if you take the extrapolation of how many songs, how many new products are made, how many um, new apps there are, and you keep extending that, it's impossible for any of us to even touch all those new things. And so we're, I think, going to have increasingly different mixtures of those things that we find interesting and important in our lives over time, even though the square room that's air-conditioned and has basic connectivity is going to remain the same. All right, so I actually do have one last question. Yeah. That's not, that that wasn't, this is the last one. So um, if, if I could command you a wish right now uh and i could say to you that you can create one technology that does not exist yeah. yet what would that technology be um did i get a good question you in got there? a good question and <laughs> it, you know if you're really giving me the genie wish i i definitely would like a time machine a time machine oh sure i'd go to the future do you, but would, there are there are no such there won't be time machines in the future because if there were we would they would people would have come back already 
Maybe they have. Maybe that's what those UFOs are. Maybe they aren't aliens. Maybe they're time travelers. <clears throat> so you do think that there'll be time machines in the future? Uh, I have no idea. <clears throat> but that's the technology that you But would you make. asked me for, for something that I wish for. Um, you didn't say it had to be possible. <laughs> <laughs> so if, if, if we restrict it to things that we think, think will think exist. Yes, okay. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, a technology... Um, you know, I think uh, nuclear fusion um, would be a great technology to have. And nuclear fusion is basically a synthetic solar, synthetic sun. So it, what it does is it operates like the way the sun does. It takes hydrogens and makes helium. You know, it, it brings them, to, it fuses them together in huge amount of energy coming off. And... It's sort of it's the cheapest energy that we could imagine theoretically, and they're working on it, and they've been working on it for like 30, 40, 50 years. Um, but it would really um, improve the world tremendously because it's it would take us off of oil, burning oil, it would take us away from nuclear and the issues of nuclear uh, fuel, and so it's very clean, um, but it's very very hard to do. And so uh, I think that would be a tremendously good thing for the planet if we had um, synthetic solar. All right. Well, sorry that you don't get the time machine. Uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> but uh, on that note, thank you so much for taking the time to chat today. This has been uh, truly fascinating, as I as I thought it would be. Uh, I'm now going to go and research aliens and UFOs okay. and see if we are not alone on this planet. All righty. It was really great. You're asking great questions, and I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thanks to my guest this week, Kevin Kelly, and of course, the aliens that were listening from far up above in their spaceships. If you enjoyed this conversation, be sure to listen and subscribe to other great episodes of Inside the Hive with Nick Bilton. You can find these on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or anywhere you get your podcasts. Thanks, of course, to the folks at Cadence 13 for their production work, and thanks to my sponsor, Freshly. Please support them the same way you support this podcast, and if you do support them, it will fill your belly with lots of yummy things. I will see you all next week.